Uh, today we're continuing our, uh, our series, Delicious, the Fruit of the Spirit. Um, but before we begin, I do, well, I, I need to apologize. Um, about six weeks ago, uh, during the service, uh, during the sermon, I, I said some things during an illustration that, uh, looking back, um, weren't, weren't true. And I think really hurt some of the people here. And so I want to make that right. Um, it turned, I, Jerry Calvert and I, uh, went to, to lunch on Friday and it turns out that Arby's is actually pretty good. I, I trashed Arby's hard and I feel really bad about it. I had the smokehouse brisket sandwich and it was delicious. So Jerry, I apologize. Brenda, I apologize. Uh, Dave, Colleen, I apologize. The rest of you, I, you know, give it a shot. Give it a try. See, see how it goes for you. Uh, we're going to be looking today at two more connected fruit of the Spirit. There, there are two things that the Spirit develops in us that are intertwined. And I hope that you'll see that as we, as we move through the text together. Just to flash uh, Galatians 5 here, the two fruit of the Spirit we're going to be looking at, kindness and goodness. Okay, and, and what, may, this may be surprising, but I believe, and I think you'll see as we, as we travel through, there's one place in scripture where I feel like it's the apex. It is the, it's like the, the, the shining moment of kindness and goodness being put on display. And that place is in Luke 10. And so let's look at Luke 10 together, and I hope that you'll see how God's kindness and goodness um, are exemplified to us. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a lawyer, and, and he, he wants to know, he wants to say that he's, you know, he's done everything uh, that the law requires, that he loves his neighbor as himself. He loves God, and he loves neighbor as himself. And so he wants to justify himself. He says to Jesus, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a priest, a Levite, um, he, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Now, we're not going to be focusing on that bit. As I was studying this, this text this week, I was like, this is so rich. We really should just do a whole series on it because there's so much here. Uh, but for today's purposes, because we're focusing on kindness and goodness, we're, we're not going to go back to that bit of the text. Just know that the religious people were not very compassionate. But a Samaritan who, uh, Samaritans were, were reviled by most of uh, the Jewish people at the time. As he traveled, um, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may incur. Which of these, Jesus asks, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, there's just, there's, like I said, there's a ton here, but I really want us to drill down uh, the biblical notions of kindness and goodness. Uh, that's uh, um and uh, agathos. 
Thosune um, in Greek. And I, I want us to understand what those words mean and how they're exemplified in this text. And so look at this. The first thing that happens is the, the Samaritan is walking by and he sees this guy beat up. And for whatever reason, the other people have passed by, but he takes pity. He's like, that is, that is not the way that your day should be going, sir. Um, he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The oil and wine is a bit weird for us. Um, not totally though, because you know, if your if your spouse is into the essential oils, uh, there's it's it, we believe that oils, different types of things, can have medicinal effects. They thought the same thing in the ancient world. And also the wine bit, we, we probably wouldn't pour wine on wounds, but if you're of a certain age, you remember, um, you know, rubbing alcohol being applied to an open wound and causing horrific pain uh, because they hadn't invented antibiotic ointment yet. But the ancient people knew as well that uh, the alcohol could have um, some cleansing properties. They didn't understand really that, you know, they were preventing infection and antibacterial and all those things. But they did know that there was, if you... But the thing, the, the, the point though is that this is expensive, right? This is, you don't just... Spend your essential oils, which cost you, you know, a hundred dollars for a little bottle. You don't get, you know, your, your 2018 Justin vintage and pour it on somebody. That's crazy. Then, uh, to, to top it off, he puts the man on his own donkey, meaning now he has to walk in the dirt and the mud and he brought him to an inn. And then it says he took care of him. So not only does he bring him to the inn, he goes into the inn and he begins to, and he continues his ministrations to keep the guy safe and, and, and try to nurse him back to health to some extent, make sure he doesn't die. Well, I submit to you that this is a textbook example, probably the greatest example of the notion of Christotes, biblical kindness. Okay, uh, take a look at these texts. There's many, but here are just a few examples of how this word, Christotes, gets used in other places in Scripture. Um, in Romans 2, uh, Paul says, Do you have contempt for the riches of his kindness? His forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to, intended to lead you to repentance? The way that kindness is being used here is it's active. It's doing something. It's an action, right? God's done something to you, and that this is supposed to change you. Uh, or the following here, um, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Again, uh, they're using the word kindness, but uh, the translators translate it good because it's easier for us in English to understand. Not even one. It's a doing something. In fact, you know, if you listen to kind of old-timey southern type talk, they might say, um, oh, you did me a kindness, right? It's not that kindness is this abstract sort of attitude. It's something concrete and real that causes change. Uh, C.S. Lewis kind of di- uh, diagnosed one of the issues that we have in our culture today. When we hear the word kindness, and this is why this is important to, to, to talk about it. When we hear kindness, what we really think is being nice. Okay? Like, if, if I say, oh, so-and-so is kind, what you hear is, oh, man, that person is just so bubbly, so sweet, never has a bad word for anyone. Uh, in his 1945 novel, I have a picture of it here, That, that Hideous Strength. It's a science fiction novel, the, the third in his space trilogy. C.S. Lewis, the bad guys in the novel are this British organization. They're called NICE. N-I-C-E. Um, and I think that, that stands for like, it's an acronym. It stands for like National Institute of criminal experimentation. I don't know. It's something. But the, the idea is when, when the, the protagonist of the novel, when he meets the people of NICE, they are so nice. They're like, oh, welcome. You know, it's so good to have you. You look so good today. 
you really are everything that we've ever wanted in an employee, and we just met you. If the members of NICE were here today in 2023, they would go on social media and they would post a Ukrainian flag. We support Ukraine. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think that's probably a good thing. It sounds to me like what Russia is doing is bad. Um, or they would go on social media and they would post, um, you know, we stand with the people of Israel or we stand with the, the Palestinians or whatever. It, it's, it's, and, and, and they would expect people to, to come to them and be like, wow, you're a really good person because you're so nice. Isn't it interesting that nice doesn't cost us anything? It's so nice to be nice. And what's worse, or maybe better, it's easy. For most of us, for a lot of us. Some, some of you, some of you are cranky, you know, you're like grumpy old men or whatever. And it's, for you, you're like, it, it's difficult for you to, to be polite and all the things. Because you're looking around, you're like, this is crazy. Am I the only one who sees what's going on and like, and I'm the only one who's going to talk about it? Honestly, I, I wonder if maybe we need more of you in our culture. Because I feel like most of us are walking around and we see horrible things. We just paper over it. I'm like, oh, you're doing great. I'm so glad that, you know, that your child's still in your life, even though, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. The biblical notion of kindness is the exact opposite of that. The biblical notion of kindness, the Bible, I'm not sure that there would be a whole lot of posting on social media, maybe. But really what it would be, it would be posting to, to gather people to accomplish something, to do good. Biblical notion of, con- uh, of kindness is what we see in the, the Good Samaritan. He doesn't just, <laughs> he's on his donkey and he has pity, right? He sees this guy, it's a terrible day for you, sir. You might even die from your wounds. I hope things go well for you and then keeps going. He's not nice. No, he's kind. The first thing you're noting is biblical uh, kindness is compassion in action. Action is the key. So that brings up a couple of questions. The first, are you nice or kind? Maybe both, hopefully both. But I mean, it's so easy in our culture. It's so easy for us to just say the right things, you know, to appear to support the right stuff. It's a whole different ball game to go out there and do something about it. The ancient world, uh, whether you may not be aware of this, in the ancient world, emotions were, um, were usually hidden uh, for the most part. Um, the people in the ancient world, they expressed their emotions not by being like, woohoo, or I'm sad. Instead, they, they performed actions to show how they felt, especially in honor-shame cultures. They controlled their visible emotions. They didn't come off necessarily as nice or mean or whatever. They were often very stoic. But you figured out how they felt by what they did. And when they did right by you, they were thought of as kind. When only words you might be real nice, but you also might be a hypocrite. And the second question, beware, not a question, a statement, beware of being nice. Like I said, I, I think that there's um, a lot of value in our culture right now in being willing to do the hard truth-telling 
I think we live in a world where people, for the sake of being nice, for the sake of smoothing things over, are willing to pass over the truth, or at least numb it, or at least slide by it, just because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. And I, I, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be nice, but I am saying not at the cost of telling the truth, not at the cost of ignoring, you know, radical evil, not at the cost of letting what God would want to have happen stay hidden. So that's kindness. Let's, uh, let's look at um, biblical goodness, okay? This is the second part of what the Samaritan does. So uh, he brings him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Wow. That's pretty generous. First off, uh, denarii, when Luke, uh, when denarii gets used in Luke Acts, it usually means about a day's wage. Uh, kind of minimum wage for like a laborer's wage. And so it would be like what you make at a McDonald's um, for eight hours of work. So that today that's about 160 bucks. Um, so two denarii would be roughly 320 bucks. And uh, staying at an inn was cheaper in the ancient world than it is here. So uh, if you had $360 and you went to, to the hotel, unless even if it's like a Motel 6, you probably, that's going to, take a lot of lot, a ch- big chunk out. In the ancient world, it was a little cheaper than that, and even better. In the ancient world, they fed you. Uh, you could, uh, so it wasn't just, it was like more like a, a bed and breakfast. Even at the, the, the worst places, you would expect a meal and some drink um, and a bed and the chance to bathe. So what, how, why, why do I say that this is goodness? Well, I want you to look at in a couple other places where this word in, in Greek, um, agathosune, gets used, okay? So here is uh, from the Old Testament, from the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them, in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. Well, what's, what's goodness here? What is goodness? Anybody? Is it like being nice? Is it something pleasant? It's stuff, right? It's provision, right? Uh, You're in their kingdom enjoying their great what? Food, drink, shelter. Uh, The the fertile land that they have that you can do crops on. Goodness means stuff. He was buried with the kings in the city of David. Uh, This is Jehoiada, I think. uh, He helps rebuild um, the temple. So he uses his like craftiness and his ability to to, to do art and, and and structure and repair in order to to uh, help Israel. And so because of the, what the good he had done in Israel for God and His temple, that's that the good is it's not necessarily stuff in this. It's his abilities. It's his resources. It's his artistic gifts. It's his time and energy. When we think of good, we tend to think in terms of morality, right and wrong, good and bad. That's not how this word gets used in the Bible. When Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, he's talking about stuff. Did you notice that bit, uh, the Samaritan, the Samaritan tells the innkeeper, hey, great news. I'm gonna be gone for a while. You know, who knows? A couple months, he's on business, something. I'm gonna come back. Okay? And on the way back, I'm gonna stop in. And if you've spent any extra, I'm, I'm going to make it right. This is um, this is a picture of my uh, auto mechanic. Uh, unique auto, it's like unique cars or something like that. It's on uh, Faber-Conte, Geronimo, in Mission Viejo. 
And uh, this guy, man, he's got like pictures of like his, how proud he is of all of his guns. He's got a pirate flag. You can see there. He's a rough and tumble kind of guy. And man, the best day of his week is when I come in. Because he looks at me, and it's, you can watch him do it. He doesn't remember me. I've, I've been there probably four times, but he has no idea. He literally looks me head to toe. He's like, and in his mind, he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. That'll be, uh, I don't know, 300 for a diagnosis? I'm like, sure, of course. Of course, that, that's reasonable. And then uh, he calls me up, and he's like, I got bad news, buddy. I'm like, oh. He's like, the rotary flange... It's uh, warped. We're going to have to get a new one. Um, and on top of that, I think that the uh, the causeway hose has uh, started leaking. So we're going to have to repair that too. You're looking at two grand. And I'm like, thank you, sir. Of course, I can't wait to pay you $2,000 so that my driver's side window can, can go up again. That actually happened, by the way. Well, uh, in a- the ancient world, especially amongst uh, Jewish people, Innkeepers were uh, were highly suspect because they were thought of as as swindlers. They were understood to there's, there's, the rabbis actually have uh, whole like disquisitions on how awful public inns are and how am- amoral the, the people who run them are. And my point is is that when this guy gives that dude carte blanche, he's like he's like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. If anything happens, I'll cover it. And the innkeeper's like, oh, stuff, stuff's going to happen, bro. Believe me. What's the point? The point is, is that this man's goodness is wrapped up in radical generosity. He starts out with two days wages for a laborer, and then he says, whatever else it takes. So the next thing you know, she's biblical goodness, generosity with your time and resources generosity with your time and resources. This is a bummer for most of us because what we would like goodness to be would be like to, you know, not lie, right? Oh, I'm a good person. I don't lie. It's not that hard not to lie for the most part. <laughs> Giving your time and your money, <laughs> your abilities and your gifts. No one wants to do that. And if you're wondering what that kind of looks like, kind of a rule of thumb, we, we saw um, when we were uh, a few weeks back when we were talking about um, some other stuff, we saw that, that Abraham was the one who initiated the idea of a tithe. You might have heard of this if you've been in church for a while. Tithing means giving 10% of what you make. Uh, I, I, I don't know that that's, I mean, I think that's a good rule of thumb, but I, I want I have a couple suggestions here because I understand that there's lots of folks here, especially in Orange County, where giving 10% seems like unmanageable. Like you're like, uh, it takes 45% of my paycheck to, to cover rent. So that's before I eat and I certainly don't have any gas. Um, so Marilyn, next slide. Uh, a, a good attitude to have towards money is to think, okay, I want to aim at getting to 10%, right? I want to aim at that, especially for those of us who are really, like, we're strapped. I'm not here to judge you about, I don't even know what anyone gives. I'm not allowed to. uh, So whether you give or not, I'm going to love you the same. Um, But it's to work towards that kind of captures the biblical notion of what generosity is. And and the the way I put it this way is when we, my children love French fries, 
Um, it's like probably the only food they all agree on as being good. Maybe that and cheese pizza. So when we go to McDonald's, I, I got this um, from my buddy Mike. It's a great way to, to teach them about giving. We go to McDonald's. I, I get them, you know, a Happy Meal, whatever, small fries. And then we get back in the car. And I, and I reach back to their Happy Meal. And I, I just pull out like six fries. You know? Like just six. Now those small fries, they probably have 30 in them. So I'm taking a, I'm taking a chunk. And inevitably, one of my children like, wah, 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 What do they say? They're like, you've got your own fries. I'm like, yes, they're extra large because I'm an extra large person. They're like, well, then why are you taking mine? Like, well, first off, those aren't your fries to begin with. Who got you those fries? I did. (laughs) And it's important for you to understand that your job here is to be grateful for what you got. And one of the ways you can show that is by cheerfully handing me six extra fries. The point is, is that, that that pinches a little bit, right? My kids are like, oh, I don't like that. I, the last thing I want to do is, is give. <laughs> I want to eat those fries. But it, it, it pinches them just a little bit. And so for those of you who are, who are struggling, dude, I do not want you to go homeless because you're like, I got to give money to the church. No. Trust me, God's, God's got plenty of money, right? Uh, he, he's not, God's not struggling, okay? Uh, this is more about our hearts, Okay. And so the idea is towards the 10th, like towards, like, can I give a little bit? Something just, just a pinch. I'm not going to starve. The kids aren't going to be, but just a pinch. It doesn't have to be here. Like you can support, uh, any millions of different important things that, that are, that are on God's heart, but just a pinch. For those of you who are doing well, right? For those of you who, who, uh, have been powerfully blessed by God, uh, I've, I've seen this before. They're like, I give 10%. I'm holy. Yeah, 10% is not that hard for you. 10%, honestly, you know, you're, you're rocking it. You, things are going well. A couple of cruises a year, <laughs> you know. Uh, you're able to pay college just in cash. That's awesome. I'm proud of you. I think that's amazing that God's blessed you that way. What would it look like for something to pinch? Maybe 10% for you is a good place to start being good. And again, I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't know what you do or don't do. This is in the, 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 the center of your heart. But, but I, I do want us to be honest about the fact that biblical goodness is not right and wrong. I mean, it, it includes that. But it's about how generous are you going to be with your time and resources. And so that's the, the second thing. That's the money piece of that, the resource. The, the time portion of that, the resources. For those of us, a lot of us maybe don't, we're just scraping to get by, right? The, we got, bills to pay and mouths to feed. Um, can we though, can we, can we, maybe we can't like write checks. Okay. But maybe can we like be open handed and have open doors, right? Maybe you can't just like you're, you're strapped, but that doesn't mean that you can't open your home to somebody. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, buy a coffee for a friend. It doesn't mean that you can't put time in to other people. That's being generous too. That's being good too. And it, that might be the, the place to start, especially for those of us with limited resources. Like, let's make an effort. Let's make an attempt. I mean, did you see what the guy did, right? The Samaritan, he, what, he, the Samaritan did not just open up his pocket and be like, 
2000 to get that window fixed. No, that was not how he operated. Instead, he actually took time out. Presumably, he's on a business trip of some kind, right? He takes time out of his day. He then goes and, and personally ministers to this guy in his need. Like that, that is, that is time and resources. That's, that's in some ways better than tithing. And then because he's a man of means, presumably he then opens up his wallet to keep things going. That is goodness. That is a powerful, powerful symbol of one's connection and commitment to God. And then look at this. How does the text end? How does that end? So Jesus tells the story, right? And the story is essentially, here's a, here's a guy who's kind and good, okay? He has compassion that leads to action. He's also the sort of person who's willing to give time and resources in order to benefit the kingdom of God. And so then Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. The one who was kind and good. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I have a picture here of a, a couple of guys. On the, uh, on the left is Jason Thomas. Um, on the right is Jim Pemejo. They had never met each other. Um, Jason Thomas on the left was an ex-Marine. He had recently retired from the, the Marine Corps. Um, and was living in New York City. On the right, uh, was a, uh, Jim was a police officer. And they crossed paths on, on September 11th of 2001. After the second tower had fallen, uh, the man on the left, uh, Jason, was driving his car towards what he, I mean, he didn't know what was going on, but he saw all the, the smoke and the explosions. And he jumped out, and he happened to have his uh, Marine Corps uniform uh, with him. He'd just recently retired. And so he went to his backseat. He pulled out his uniform. Uh, he got a flashlight, some first aid gear, that sort of thing. And then he ran towards the towers, or what had been the towers. Now were um, these gaping holes. Um, and as he's going, <laughs> he's going that way. Everyone else is going this way uh, because of the devastation. And as he's going, a group of firefighters say, if you head that way, you're probably going to die. And, and he, because he's Semper Fi, Marine Corps, he says, Marines always run towards the fire. And he finds um, another guy, a, a, star, a sergeant who also happens to be an ex-Marine. And the, and the two of them are heading towards these craters. And as they're going, they, they see, they, they start, they get to the place where the, the second tower had fallen, where there's this massive hole. And uh, Jason and this other a sergeant, they, they jump into the hole. And, that, and when they do, they, they get to the bottom of it. And it's actually, they can sort of see because the metal in the hole is burning red hot. Uh, because of the it had because of the the, the devastation, and so following that uh, they they begin to claw, you know sort of claw their way through the rubble as best they can, and there's sort of like a, a a tunnel, and they begin to shout out, "Hello, hello, is anyone here?" And they hear a voice, and it's the man on the right, Jim. Jim calls out, "I'm here, I'm here, I can't see anything," and they say, "Well, keep keep." keep talking, keep shouting so that we can get to you. And so they crawl, they crawl, and they finally, they, they get as far as they can. Now it's pitch black. Uh, Jason Thomas's flashlight has run out. So he, they're, they're now in, in pitch darkness. And, and they're clawing around. Their, their hands are getting cut up because they can't see, but they can hear Jim. And they, they finally realize that, that Jim is inaccessible. 
Whatever, there, there's some part of the structure that's, that's keeping them from getting to him. So at that point, uh, the second Marine exits the hole and sa- tries to flag down help. Jason Thomas says to Jim, I will not leave you until help comes. It took almost 20 hours for someone to show up. And so during this time in the pitch darkness, in the heat, in the ash, Jason starts talking to Jim about his life. He says, I just had my fourth, my fourth child. Do you have any kids? And Jim says, my wife's pregnant with our first. What's your background? Well, I was in the Marine Corps. I did my time. I served. How long have you been a cop? Seven years. Are you hurt? Yeah. I don't know how bad. I can't see anything. Just don't leave. Please don't leave. And Jason Thomas says, I will be here until they dig us out. Jason Thomas had compassion that turned into action. And then when everyone told him to get out of that hole, it's not safe, he said, no, I'm staying until we get my new friend out. He might have said, until we get my new neighbor out. On the morning of September 11th, these two were strangers. But because of Jason Thomas's compassion that led to action, because of his dedication of his time and resources, these two went from stranger to neighbor. And their stories will be connected forever. The interesting thing that happened is um, (laughs) after they get dug out, Jason Thomas leaves uh, to go home to clean up. And Jim lost contact with him. In fact, no one knew who he was. He never told anyone his, his whole name. He, just, he had just gone and he just dedicated. It took five years of people reaching out saying, who was that man who became my neighbor? And finally, Jason Thomas raised his hand and said, it was me. And in 2006, he and Jim were reunited. Reunited as neighbors. The last thing on your note sheet is this. Compassion in action and generosity with time and resources can make a stranger a neighbor. And if you're wondering why Jesus told this parable, it's because Jesus knows that his mission is to make all of us who are strangers to God family. More even than neighbors, but children, brothers, and sisters. And in order for that to happen, Jesus knew that it was going to take his compassion on us, transformed into the action of his life, death, and resurrection. That it was going to be him moving into the neighborhood and giving everything he had. His time, his life. And in that action, in that action, Jesus, the Messiah, brings us to God. Though we were far off, he came and found us. Brothers and sisters, be kind. Be good. As you do, you are reenacting 
Jesus' actions for us for all time. And now, in just a few minutes, you have an opportunity to make this happen. We're going to go out there. We're going to have a time at, at Harvowing. Here's what I encourage you to do. Go out and see someone who's a stranger to you. All right? Look for someone who's a stranger to you and go and sit at their table. Break. I know it's awkward. I know it's awkward. I get it. I've done it myself. I know it's difficult. But get in there and try to meet somebody and try to begin the process of compassion that leads to action and generosity with your time and resources. Because if you do, you have the opportunity to turn that person from a stranger into your neighbor. And in so doing, you will be fulfilling the action and life of Jesus the Messiah. We're going to close with a song, The Goodness of God. As you're seeing this, uh, know that this is precisely who God is. The, 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 the thing is, he never, his goodness keeps chasing us. Right? That's it. it chases us so far that Jesus himself is God's goodness to us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. We thank you that you chase us. That you don't just take pity, but no, you, you then turn that into salvation. You're open-handed with your your time, your resources to us. You set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, may you spur in our hearts a desire to be kind, to be good. May your Holy Spirit pull this out of us so that we can live with open hands and open hearts. So that when we have, though you stir up in us compassion and then, and then lead us to change that into salvific action. Bless this people. Turn us from strangers into neighbors and bring more strangers in. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.